morning, as we continue our study in Ephesians, as we go through God's Word, I, I just want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to the fourth chapter. Uh, and as we go through that fourth chapter, if you would leave the Scriptures open, because I'd like to refer to this passage. It deals with the fact that, uh, that really we are called as a people of God to be different from the world. And so in setting the stage for the passage this morning, um, I want to talk with you about something that is not spoken of in the church in our day. You don't find very many sermons dealing with this particular topic. You don't find many people addressing these issues. And what am I talking about? Well, we're really talking about what is called sanctification. Justification is that moment where we come to Christ and we ask Christ into our lives and he forgives us of our sins, he changes our hearts so that we're now able and wanting to love God and to seek his will. Sanctification is that process of the Holy Spirit that continues after we have been converted. And so if you've not come to Christ this morning, you need to be saved. You need to be justified in, in that purposeful, purposefulness of the cross before you can be sanctified. You say, well, what is sanctification? Well, here's the larger catechism from the modern English version is it's this, this sanctification is a work of God's grace for those whom God has chosen to be holy before the beginning of the world and to whom in time the power operation of the spirit applies the death and resurrection of Christ and so there are thus renewed in their whole persons after the image of God do you hear that they are renewed Next, they have the seed of repentance unto life, which means they're not, they're not going back and enjoying sin. They're trying to get away from it. And all the other saving graces put into their hearts, and these graces uh, are so aroused, so increased, so strengthened that they more and more die to sin and rise into the renewing, renew, uh, newness of life. And so this is the calling of the Christian. It is, a, it is to be sanctified by God's work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as we get into this chapter, as we get into chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're really dealing with the issue of our sanctification. How should we live now that we have believed in Christ? The first three chapters, Paul has laid out what God was doing in sending Christ into the world and dying on the cross and being resurrected and now lives forever eternal in the heavens as Lord and Savior. And he's forming a new humanity from the two, the Gentile and the Jew. God is creating the church. And this church is a fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament that when God would send Christ into the world, he would call men and women from all tongues, nations, tribes, peoples, and they would be bound together through the bond of Christ into a new humanity that would be called the church. Well, it's in this second part, the living in response to God's word in Christ, that we're really studying this morning. It's in this whole endeavor to really understand that what Paul has been teaching in the whole message of the book of Ephesians is that God is in the business of reconciling you in Christ, reconciling you to God in Christ. And therefore, this reconciliation in Christ requires believers to live a life worthy of the salvation they've received. You say, I believe in Jesus. Great, that's wonderful. What evidence is your life producing in that? In other words, if Christ is in you and he has changed your heart, then there has to be something that's changed about your life to give evidence of that change of heart. 
And so as Paul has taught us so forth about what is life worthy of the calling, it is maintaining the unity in the church. Now notice that. Maintaining the unity in the church. Our unity is in Christ. We are united to him, but we're also united to one another. And so the most amazing part of this teaching is that when you look around this room and you see people who say, I believe in Jesus, you cannot treat them the way you would treat people who don't believe in Jesus because they're part of the body of Christ. They are part of you. When I first got married, in fact, the only time I got married, there was a pretty clear definition that I was united with someone who from my life long in I was going to live with because God has said, till death do you part. Well, I, I don't know about Cindy, but I sure have been praying that death will tarry a little longer. But there is an ending to the union that I have with Cindy. There is not. There is no ending to the union I have with Christ and his church. It never ends. And so because of that, Paul says to live a life worthy of the gospel is to maintain the unity of the church, the unity in Christ, the unity with his people. And also to do that, I must also grow in my maturity, my love for Jesus. Paul has prayed twice in the beginning of chapter 1 and the end in chapter 2. He has prayed twice that the people who are reading his letter will grow in their love and in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's not just head knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's daily experiencing Christ's union and the union that Christ gives us with others. Well, that being said then, we're going to move into remembering last week we, thought we, we were taught that because of this way of living, we're to do three things. We're to put off the old. The old self, the old sinfulness that we have, the desires that would lead us away from God, we are to purposely put those off, like taking off a, a piece of dirty clothing. We're to take it off and throw it away. We're to be made new in our thinking. Our thinking is to be changing constantly as we think about our lives and our relationship with Christ and with each other, that we must be different from the world. And that difference comes in our unity in Christ. And then lastly, we're to put on the new life, the new self, this new life that Christ brings into our hearts that causes us to yearn to love God and to seek him. And so with that being the outline of what Paul is teaching concerning our sanctification, putting off the old, renewing our mind, putting on the new, he's going to be dealing with a string of what seems to be commandments. He's going to be dealing with a string of things that he's going to say, you're going to have to be this way, not that way. Be this way, not that way. Do this, not that. And he's saying that we're not doing those things or being those, those kinds of people because we're trying to earn our salvation. Our salvation is ours. We've been saved through the blood of Christ. But we are seeking to do and be people who are united to Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, would you stand with me as we look at God's word this morning? In honoring God and hearing his word, I invite you to hear the word of God as we read from chapters 4, verse 25 to 28. Therefore, in light of what we just reviewed, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood 
and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of the one body. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I was, uh, I was shocked this morning to, uh, to hear on the news and read in the news about a man in Florida who went to Starbucks and ordered a bagel with cream cheese. And he got the bagel, but didn't get the cream cheese. Did you hear what happened? He pulled back into the line, and he asked for the cream cheese, and the woman waited on him and said, well, did you pay for cream cheese? To which he pulled out a gun and brandished a gun while she was asking him whether he had cream cheese. You think she gave him the cream cheese? Yeah. You better believe it. The only problem was that she was the daughter of a local sheriff, and the sheriff tracked this guy down, and he's now in jail and arrested because of brandishing that pistol. You think, well, wait a minute. Is that right? Is that the way people should live? Well, we say no, but let me ask you, have you been angry at someone for cutting you off in line and wanted to run them down? Have you done things out of anger against others that have now looked back on you you now look back on with some embarrassment yeah we all have <laughs> we all have haven't we and so when you and I begin to think about this life of knowing Jesus the first thing that Paul deals with in trying to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together into this new humanity the first topic he takes on is this problem of anger what he describes falsehood. There must not be any falsehood among you. And I find that's very interesting. Any falsehood. What, what is he talking about? Well, remember, we're talking about sanctification. And if you've received Christ, you're like this light bulb. You've said yes to Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. I want to be, I want to be saved. I want to know him and the, and the glory of Jesus Christ and the Father and the Son. And I want all that God has prepared for me in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're like that light bulb, but what's the problem with the light bulb right now? It's not lit. And so if you were to go and talk with that guy who pulled the gun out at Starbucks and you were to ask him, are you a Christian? What do you think he probably would have said? I would say he would probably would say, yeah. I grew up as a Christian. This is why the world finds it hard to believe in the institutional church. Because there are a lot of people who say, well, I believe in Jesus. But the problem is they are like the light bulb without the power connected to them. And that's the danger that you and I have as believers. Being a Christian is not something we do. It's someone we're united with. And so the power of the Christian life, the power 
does not come from the light bulb. It comes from Christ who gives us the strength and power. This is what Paul is alluding to in the end of chapter 3 when he said the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you. That power is not something foreign or detached from you. It is available to you. Christ is in you. He's at work to conform you to his image. And the first issue that Paul deals with is this whole business of falsehood. And what does he say? Put it off. Stop lying. <laughs> well, I don't lie. Well, you just lied. You just did. You say, what? Well, someone comes in and they say, how are you? What do you say? I'm fine. Really? Many times you say that and you're really not fine. You're dealing with problems with you, your family. You're dealing with your marriage. You're dealing with your boss. You're dealing with your employees. There are so many things that we have as problems. I find that in our culture, our problems are increasing to such an extent that people are exploding with anger. And you see it everywhere. And the, and the real question that comes to you and me as believers is, do I believe in Jesus? And if I do, then there must be some way I deal with my anger. Notice in the chapter we read, chapter 4, beginning with verse, um, verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put, up, put all false, falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. And then the reason for that is for we are all members of one body. In other words... In this community of faith, among those who believe in Christ, we are never to put a shine on things where we do not speak honestly and truthfully to each other. And so often in the church, and we're seeing this in our day, we're seeing a consumer mentality where people will come to a church and they'll say, I want to be a member of this church. And you say, great. And then they come in and with every new change that happens in a church, there are always challenges. Did you know that? And so as someone comes in and they become, they become a part of this church and they begin to grow in their faith, there will be times of conflict. Why with a conflict? Why is that there? Well, why do you have conflict with people in your own family? It's because you have disagreements. You have at odds with one another about certain things. And so the difference for the Christian is we are not to let falsehood be something that's not dealt with honestly. And so if I ever hurt you from the pulpit, if I'm preaching and I say something that you don't like, what is the natural worldly tendency for someone who is not in Christ? What do they do? Why, they go and tell someone else. Well, you won't believe what that bald-headed pastor said. Right? Think about it. It's called a triangle. And triangles are all over the place. Someone comes to you and says, well, I am really, really mad at Robert. And what are you supposed to do with that? Well, if you don't do anything with it, you're allowing falsehood to be spoken. And truth is not being illuminated. One of the things I told Logan when he first came was I said, if I ever have anybody in this church come and complain about you, I am going to take you and bring them to you so that we can sit down and talk about this. Why? Do you know that in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, 
Jesus says, if you sin against your brother, if you do not forgive your brother, you are liable to judgment. That's how serious Jesus took this. In other words, if those who believe in him only have the appearance of knowing him, but not the power or exercise the power to live out the life he expects of us, then we will be judged by the Lord for that falsehood. You could well imagine the kind of falsehood that could happen in a church where there are Jews and Gentiles who are separated by culture that was diametrically opposed to one another. And how would they be able to be united unless they learned how to deal with the issues of falsehood? And so Paul says, listen, first of all, you who believe in Christ, you are never to allow a falsehood to occur and allow it to be festering in your church. Why does he say that? Because it will divide. It will divide people. Do you know that's why we go to other people and tell others how someone has hurt us? We're looking for support. We're looking for people to take our side. Don't believe it? Try marriage counseling one time. To have two people come into your office and to sit down and talk about their marriage, well, if he would just do this or if she would just do that, why do they need a counselor? Why can't they just talk to each other? Why can't they work out their problems? It's because it's much easier to tell someone else their problem. Here Paul points out that the change that must happen is in each of us because we are now united to Christ and our change is not to placate one another, not to do things to make each other happy. Our goal is to please the Lord. It is to honor him. It is to love Christ. He says, secondly, you're to put off that falsehood. Quit lying to each other. Quit hiding the problems. Bring them out. Talk about them. Work through them. Honor Christ in seeking the unity of Christ in dealing with them. He says to do that, you must have, secondly, a renewed mind. You must renew your thinking if you're going to be one in Christ. Now, if you look at the passage again and you read it very carefully, it really is quite amazing because he says... He says in verse, um, in verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Why does he say it that way? Because he's dealing with the whole way in which you and I respond to people who we feel do things to hurt us. Or we may be hurt by something someone said. He's dealing with that whole caveat that there is a legitimacy, that there is a possibility that I will fail you. Listen to me. There is a possibility that I will fail you. What do you do? Well, I'm going to another church. Did that take care of the problem? No. But yet that is the method of almost every Christian in the United States today. It is why the church is impotent in its power in the culture. Because people see us get mad at each other and then they say, well, if that's being a Christian, why do I need to even bother? Then how does a Christian deal with it? 
Paul very clearly, very concretely says, listen to me, if someone fails you, and they will, go to them. Is that easy or hard? It's hard. It's very hard. This is why the renewed thought needs to happen. Could you imagine what it meant to Peter who told Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. And then the cock crows. And according to this gospels, it says that when that happened, Jesus' eye met Peter's when he denied him three times. And it was in that instant that Peter could no longer live with the lie. He knew he had failed to keep fellowship with Jesus. The only place I'm going to ask, God help me understand what happened, is in the story when Jesus is resurrected and he, repeer, he appears to the disciples. It tells us in the scripture that Jesus appeared to Peter alone. What do you think they talked about? If I'd have been Peter, I don't know if I could have faced Jesus. And yet this is the love of Christ. Amen. That God so loved Peter, he was going to free him from the shame of his failure. This is the power of the gospel. This is why God demands that you and I seek the unity in the church because I will fail you. And unless you help me grow in my walk with Christ, unless you help me to put off falsehood, I will never be the man that God wants me to be, nor will you be the man or woman God wants you to be. Do you see the real power of the gospel here? It's not to shame us, it's to free us. It's to give us life. It's to allow us to experience forgiveness for one another or with one another or to one another. And so as you and I deal with this, the devil is at work and he wants to divide the church. Do you know, I've talked with missionaries overseas who've worked in groups and, and the hope is missionaries will go as groups into a community that is so strange from what they, they experienced growing up. And so they're doing cross-cultural ministry and so they're having to go into a totally different environment to begin preaching the gospel. And you think, man, that's tough. And when you talk with missionaries, the one thing that just surprises me is I'll say, well, you, you've come home. Was it just too hard? And they said, no, we enjoyed working in that atmosphere. Well, what, was, was there any fruit? And they, yeah, there, were, there was fruit. We saw people being changed by the gospel. Well, then what happened? What hap Why did y'all have to come home? What happened to your organization that caused the ministry to falter? And almost every time I've talked to ministries that have been overseas, with, one or, with three or more people working together to spread the gospel, invariably the reason the ministry failed was because the team could not get along. Their unity dissolved because of either their sin or the devil was at work.
you think about that. Paul says we must put off the old, put on the new. We must put off the falsehood. We must speak the truth in love. Otherwise, we're only giving the devil a foothold. And then thirdly, he says, put on speaking truthfully. Now, be careful. Some of you think I'm giving you a license to really lay into them, right? Yep. Well, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. Uh-uh. Speak the truth in love. You speak with the intent, the outcome of seeing that person grow closer to Christ and to you. You seek to redeem, repair, free people from the shame of sin and from the division that comes in the church. Are you seeing why this message is not preached anymore? I grieve for the Methodist church today. Do you know what's going on in the Methodist church? False teachers have infiltrated that church and they're beginning to teach things that the Bible clearly teaches us is against the will of God. And instead of dealing with that problem, pointing it out as sin and saying we will not tolerate this, they have placated it to the extent that now the Methodist church, one of the largest Christian churches in the, in the world, is going to see a division in the next three years. It's going to divide. And it's going to divide over false teaching. And why did the false teaching arise? Because they allowed falsehood to not be addressed. They allowed what was untrue to be accepted as true. And they didn't confront it. Believe it or not, that's why you elect elders in this church. Elders are called to come to you and to help you understand where there may be falsehood in your life that is dishonoring to Christ and threatening the unity of Christ in his church. And so Paul, as he writes about this, he's, he's really dealing with a very delicate topic, isn't it? It's very delicate, very pointed. He goes on to say, deal with the anger. How do you do that? Well, here are some quick tips to deal with your anger this morning. By the way, if you're angry with me, and I try to tell new members this every time I, I have them join. Uh, I try to tell them during the session meeting when they come in, they're received by the session elders. But I tell them, look, I'm an imperfect person. If I say anything, do anything that ever insults you, would you please come to me and allow me the opportunity to apologize or to make right what was wrong. Before Logan was coming, I was preaching about 51 Sundays out of the year. Chances are I'm going to offend somebody during that time, right? What do you do? Well, Paul says, deal with it. Put on truthfulness. How do we put on truthfulness? Well, in dealing with that anger, we do it quickly. Notice how he says, go back to the verse, look at it very carefully. It says, do not let the sun, verse 26, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, if you're married, you know that sleeping in a bed with your spouse when you're angry is really probably the worst night's sleep you'll ever get. Amen? 
Oh, no, y'all are asleep. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Amen? And I want you to know, there have been times when I've gone to bed angry. And, and let me tell you, that was just the worst night I've ever had in my life. But boy, when things get better, when things are solved, when people come to meeting of the eye and they actually clear the skies, so to speak, it is just absolutely wonderful. Let me tell you, sometimes I look forward to fighting with my wife just so we can make up. That's a lie. I'm not speaking truth. But it is a wonderful thing to be reconciled. It is a wonderful thing to be reunited with a loved one, a brother or sister in Christ. It is an opportunity to grow deeper, not shallower in your walk with him. Notice also, and I forgot to mention this, if you refuse to deal with the anger in your heart against a brother, you're not harming your brother or sister. You're insulting Jesus. You're insulting Jesus. Because all of our sins, whether they are committed against you or someone else, ultimately our sins are an insult to God. We have defaced him. We have demeaned God. So what are we to do with it? Go quickly, deal with it, don't put it off. Secondly, he says, uh, you don't use it as a cause of division. Don't give the devil a foothold. I, I can't tell you how many times someone has done something to me and I've thought, they, they intended to do that, you know? Like, uh, I go out of here and, and, and maybe, uh, <clears throat> who can I pick on? No, I'm just teasing. Um, I go out of here and someone looks at me and, and they go... And they just walk away. And I think, oh, man, they're mad at me. And I kind of go, oh, gosh, what did that do? And I go to Cindy and I'll say, honey, did I do anything to that person that they would roll their eyes at me after church? You know? Or I noticed that during the sermon that, that they kind of just turned their head and looked out the window and wouldn't look at me the whole time. Did I do anything? No, honey, you didn't do anything. Are you sure? Because I, I can tell you that. And, and, and before long, I get so whipped up over it, it's just, it's just overwhelming. And what does the devil do? They did that to hurt you. Yeah. I remember in, in uh, our home church, my father had gone to great, great effort to cook a meal for our Wednesday night group. And he had scorched the bottom of the, of, the, of the meal. It was scorched. It smelled like smoke and tasted that way. And someone said something to him. No kidding. Some, someone said something to him. And when he came home, he slammed the door. And he said, I'm never going to go to that church again. And I said, Dad, what's the problem? He said, that woman said this and this about me. And, da, 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 da. and I said, I, I don't think that's true. And he looked at me and said, what? I said, I think you've totally misunderstood. She would never say something like that about you. I said, please call her right now. And you know what he did? He called her. Within five seconds, all of the anger was diffused. All of it. And they were closer than they ever had been before. Don't give the devil a foothold. Let me tell you. He does not want the gospel to be successful. He does not want Christ in you 
to be glorified. Thirdly and finally, we are to not to seek revenge. Ah, I hate this part, but restitution. I mean, let's face it. You hurt me. You hurt my wife. You hurt my daughter. What do you think I'm going to do? You think the guy in Starbucks pulling out the gun was bad? Hurt my family. That's not the answer. And it never solves anything. But going to that person has the opportunity to transform our culture. When people see Christians letting their light shine. Remember what Jesus said? Do you, hide, do you light it and hide it under a bushel? No. You let your light shine. This is it. This is the light that shines in the world. Here's what God tells us very carefully in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Get it? Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that the, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Well, what does he mean by that last part? Well, a pagan or tax collector was despised. But they were people who were seen as people who de deeply needed to know the love of Christ. Did you know Luke was a tax collector? One of the apostles? And God loved him so much he included him in his 12. Here's the point. That he says that if someone does something that angers you, go and point out their faults, just the two of you. See what God does with that. There'll be times, by the way, when people won't want to reconcile with you. Did you know that? There'll be times when people want to cause division. They want to have the power to control you. And that's why he goes on to say, if they listen to you, you've won a brother. But if they will not listen to you, then you are to take along another person. Why? Because that person needs to see, and the person who will not forgive needs to see that they are accountable not to themselves, but they are accountable to Jesus Christ and to the body of Christ. And if they still will not, then you tell the church. And if they will not repent, then here's where censorship comes in. In the book of order, immorality is defined as gossip or slander or any kind of sexuality outside of a marriage. And if someone will not reconcile, if someone will not find forgiveness in their heart for their brother who is united with Christ as they claim to be united, if they will not, then they're to be cast out of the church. You say, Robert, that's cruel. Let me tell you, the only reason we exercise discipline in the church, the only reason that anyone would be kicked off the rolls of the church is not to shame them. It's to bring them to repentance. So that if we have to use such an extreme 
to allow people to understand how deeply grievous their sin is, that they have to be removed from the church's life. That is a small matter when it comes to standing before Jesus, who says it would be better, it would be better for someone to have a rope tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. if they are unforgiving. Why does God look at this so pointedly? Because God has forgiven you of all your sins. And you are to model, to imitate God in forgiving others. And let me tell you, Without Christ in your heart, you and I will never forgive anybody. Amen. This is why you need Jesus. Without Jesus, we do not have the power to live this way. Do you need him this morning? Do you need this kind of power in your life? God will give it to you. If you will simply ask him, would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, we, we are a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people who have been saved because God loved us. And because you loved us, you now want to transform us in such a way that we will live differently from the way the world lives. And so as I think about people and I think about my own life and the relationships I have, I ask God, have mercy. We sang that this mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me. Because we know that in the Sermon on the Mount that you say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. May that be so in my life. And if there is anybody here who, who's dealing with the unresolved issues of anger in their life, God, if they need you in their life, help them to reach out and ask you right now to come into their heart and change their heart. And then give them the strength, the ability to go to whoever they have enmity with and settle it once and for all. We ask and we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said together.